This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 497, for March 2nd, 2016. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I hope you leapt forward. Do you know what day it is? Do you know what time it is? How many appointments did you miss? Oh, no, wait. Not yet. See, that's that's how confusing it is. Later this month, we'll see how major computer manufacturers deal with things like not just leap year, but, you know, the change in daylight saving time. And with me to talk about this, I think she's here. Are we an hour off, an hour day off? I don't even know. Susie Oaks, <laughs> the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? I never know what time. I, I leapt back and then I fell forward. It was pretty awkward. I don't know what happened. The extra day isn't as big of a deal as the hour, I feel like. I have a friend a day who, is just uh, a day, like, you know, whatever. They're all the same. <laughs> I have a friend who's uh, a good friend whose birthday is today. So happy birthday, Susie. And uh, we won't hear this probably. I don't know if she listens to podcasts. But anyway, I'll tell her to listen. And uh, sure she was she almost born on February 29th. She is, her birthday is an exact increment of years of four, uh, her age. So uh, her mother really didn't want to give birth on the 29th. I'm like, then you'd be one of those kids whose birthday only happened every four years. And everyone would make fun of you at school because kids are cruel. You don't have a birthday this year. It's like, yes, I do. It's just not on the calendar. Yeah, I I would have definitely made fun of a kid if his birthday was twenty ninth. I would have been like, you oh, freak! Oh, your day doesn't exist. You don't have a birthday. What if you're born in that leap second that they do every once in a while? You wouldn't have a birthday for years or generations. Oh man. Oh uh, well, we'll get to see. Uh, you know, it's always exciting when that moment comes closer. Not just leap days, but uh, daylight saving time. When that jumps back and forth, because uh, operating systems are not always good with that kind of thing, and. Uh, Funny things happen. Speaking of funny things happening to operating systems, uh, hey, funny thing happened to a bunch of people. Yeah. IMAX. <laughs> Did you hear the one about the broken Ethernet touch driver? ID that all of a sudden I'm, I'm in the phone? middle of a Twitter hiatus. I may return. We'll see. But uh, I uh, but you're things, saving all your jokes for the podcast. Right, Save off exactly. <laughs> this is our dad joke central now. Uh, so the, I things lit up. I got email from people. I see stuff on Facebook in the Slack rooms. Slack teams I'm in. People are like, my iMac stopped. Something went wrong. I can't download from the Mac App Store. I'm like, well, maybe another certificate expired, but it only seemed to affect iMacs. And sure enough, something had uh, related to uh, system in, uh, integrity protection, a great new feature in El Capitan. There was a problem with um, driver signing or something like that with the new Ethernet driver. I don't know. Some We wrote about it. It's a little obscure. You can go to the Macworld.com article to make sure you get the updated fix or you're still having this problem. I'm glad you noticed because I don't think any of us in the office are using Macs with Ethernet. I don't use an iMac either. It's uh, uh, Jason Snell wrote about it at Six Colors because it happened to him. He's like, "Hey, things broke," uh, and so this is a this is one of these side effects of better security. Is something was a little off, and so the system said, "Blark, you know, I'm not going to accept this," which is would be is great, uh, except that Apple potentially isn't testing with enough different configurations. I don't know. It was weird, um, and uh, I just wanted to call back to last week. We mentioned in passing that the Error Fifty Three. Uh, situation was fixed and Apple apologized. They released an update. Uh, they'll ostensibly going to reimburse people based on what they said. It's like, if you paid money to have your phone fixed, you should get in touch with us and so forth. And a, an astute listener pointed out, hey, you missed one thing. And I, I had missed this. I read over it too quickly when we were recording. Uh, Apple admitted that they'd released a testing version, that this actually was supposed to be test code to see if the Touch ID thing had become unpaired and it oh. made it into production. Release. Uh, and that's why the error was so unhelpful, which was the thing that we were railing about. We were like, error 53, what does that mean? But yeah, yeah. Well, if right, it's unhelpful. a testing code, then it doesn't have to be super helpful. And also explains why it happened suddenly. It didn't happen in like iOS 9.0.0 or whatever. So um, although, you know, somebody had it happen in iOS 8, I believe. There's a story at uh, a Daily Dot a year ago. Uh, so we don't have the full answer, but some may have triggered a testing condition in that version too. But clearly... I was impressed that Apple apologized, is trying to make things right. But um, as has been said, things are slipping a little. It'd be nice if they could figure out how to not have stuff like this happen. I mean, not like nothing should ever go wrong, but at the scale they are, uh, it just seems problematic when uh, they're slipping like this. It just, I don't know. But we'll get, you know, they fix things. If they weren't fixing, if they're like, nope, that's your problem, then it would be a much more hostile situation. Yeah. At least it's, you know, most of the time you're buying Apple things from Apple. Even if you're not, even if you're buying Apple things from, you know, like Best Buy or somebody, like Apple has, you know, they stand behind their stuff and they're going to try to figure it out. And it can be frustrating to, you know, get those answers and keep getting escalated and stuff. Um, it can be a long process, but um, they've been pretty good about about making this stuff right. 
Yeah, I, I, I like that. It's uh, that's one of the reasons that Apple tends to stand out. You know, that's one mm. reason uh, I've actually bought extended warranties, as I've talked about in this podcast before. Even though uh, a lot of people recommend you don't buy extended warranties, I've used them. And they've been great. And uh, that sometimes says the original product maybe isn't made as well as it should be if you need to use an extended warranty. But, you know, it's uh, it's complex. I was just reading up on drones. I was doing a little editing on drones. And uh, there's a fu- some drones offer policies, interesting insurance policies. If you lose your drone, you can pay for insurance so that they'll get it replaced or you get a refurbished unit or whatever. Like that's Ooh. at least so far our iPhones do not fly away. Uh, when they do, we'll have to oh, deal man, with that. Flying iPhones, flying when is iPhones. That's uh, the uh, flying Before toasters. The flying cars or after the flying cars? Just the flying phones. cars are taken forever. Hover phones. You'd get awesome selfies if you had hover phones. Would just yes. kind of like magnetically hover near you. All right. Well, so the big story. If you uh, forgot this, it. It could just like catch up with you. You would walk right. oh, yeah, away yeah, go, from the bar would, and the prototype <laughs> hover phones. Just <laughs> like wait, come back. It would fly through the air. Be Don't like, let uh, me we, fall into the wrong hand. It'd be like we all had the force. Mm-hmm. Or we're Harry Potter, Asio iPhone. Uh, so this story is uh, the story of the week. Every week for the last few weeks, that darn FBI. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, we were you know Rich. Play the Benny Vogel. Hill music here. <laughs> <laughs> Note to <Yeah>. editor. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Rich Vogel was our guest last week, and we raged against the federal machine. And uh, this week we're gonna recap a bit because there's a lot going on, and I wouldn't expect people who weren't professional journalists who cover this for a living to really be trying to keep up with this. Cause I'm like, this is part of my core area of interest. I'm interested in security, privacy, encryption, and Apple products. It's my coverage area. And I'm having trouble keeping up with all the news. I would have to be a full-time reporter covering Apple, I think, to stay totally on top of this. Now I know Luckily, this is- Luckily, you have one of those on the podcast exactly. <laughs> And now how are you doing keeping up? I mean, there's just so much Yeah, going on. you don't need to keep up because you're a listener of the Macworld podcast, yeah. which means you're intelligent and good looking. And Absolutely. I'm about to tell you what happened this you're week with the FBI. Well, we started um, away. I, so... I want to talk, hey, I want to start with one thing though, which is just the closing the barn door thing is like, uh, uh, this is, this hits my area of interest. So that's why I'm- since I'm hosting, I'll put I'll push it first. Then we'll get into this. Um, there's a lot of news coming about how Apple is going to disable more of its own access to uh, to components. Oh yeah, that's cool. Definitely, I like that. And it's you know there's this interesting situation. Like you know, so I think God, did I do this for uh, did I do this for MacWorld? I think I did years ago. You know, I'm, I tested some online um, backup services, and I've written about it uh, at different places at different times too. Uh, and you know, currently I'm using both uh, Cloudfire or Cl- Cloudfire. That's that is not a service. I'm sorry, you can't if you go looking for Cloudfire, it doesn't exist. Backblaze and uh, <laughs> and CrashPlan on different machines in my network for hosted online backups and. I always recommend to everyone that if you're using a hosted online backup service, you use one that offers an option, or it's the only option in some cases, that you retain a strong password that protects your encryption key, and they never have access to that strong password or the decrypted version, that all the encryption happens on your side, and you're only sending encrypted packets or information to the service. And then they aren't put in a position where they can leak any of your information. It's really cool. You're the only one who has the risk. Use a good password manager so you're not relying on your brain to remember that password. Because otherwise you're paying good money to store a bunch of ones and zeros you'll never get back. Yeah, exactly. Because they can never help you. And so Apple has, you know, they've moved this. They tried this for a bit with two-factor authentication. There was a point at which they had built their system uh, with, sorry, two-step, what they call two-step verification. Where if you lost your password and you lost the recovery key, my understanding is there really was no way they could recover it. Now, they've modified mm-hmm. that for two-factor authentication to provide a recovery path for your uh, iCloud information and purchases uh, and your Apple ID. But um, it's a little bit different. They they aren't – but it's a different set of information that's being protected. But there are ways, uh, you know, as with these backup services, where you can take items and you can synchronize them and push them from you locally to a cloud service where the cloud service has no access to the contents and when you go to, say, a web browser, you go to iCloud and you want to .com and you want to look up a contact or do whatever, you'd think this would bar you. But there's client-side JavaScript cryptographic libraries that are in common use now, and you uh, your browser handles the encryption. It temporarily stores the stuff. And there's risks with that when you're accessing something via the web versus a native app, native app where it's downloaded locally and then a native app deals with it. However... Um, it's doable. So Apple could conceivably take most or all of its hands off uh, our iCloud data, which currently they 
have to have the ability to decrypt because of how synchronization works. And uh, they can still provide that under subpoena or it could be hacked and so forth. This could change too. Uh, and the same thing with the uh, ability to sort of sideload new firmware upgrades and upgrade the secure enclave software. Uh, they could remove that ability without you having the code. Like right now, you don't have to have the code. They have the ability to upgrade that software in your phone without being able, having to unlock it. And that could change. Um, so... Yeah, I think those are the two things they're probably going to want to lock down first, because even in this case, in the San Bernardino case, um, they've given, they've turned over the the backups of the the phone in question. And then, you know, there was that whole uh, fiasco of there were six weeks of backups that were missing and they wanted to try to force a new backup, but they had remotely changed the iCloud password. So the phone wasn't doing the auto backup thing when it's locked and plugged in overnight. So, um so yeah, that is something that Apple can do now. I mean, I back up my phone to iTunes because I like doing the encrypted backup, not even, you know, for data security reasons per se. My biggest reason to do that is then when you restore from the backup, all your passwords and stuff oh, are like God, still yeah. in there and it saves you a ton of time. You don't have to like set up every app from scratch. Some apps you still have to set up again, like apps that are mostly cloud-based. You just log in, it's no big deal. But um all, you know, all your your uh email accounts and everything are back and it just it just saves you some time. So we always recommend people do that when they're backing up to iTunes. But it's the same thing. You have to keep, make sure you keep the password in a reliable system. Um, yeah, but yeah, so they're going to try to lock down iCloud pass uh, iCloud backups, I'm sure, and also um, what you mentioned about um, not being able to update the I- uh, iOS without unlocking the phone. Also iCloud and iCloud sync. I forgot about the backups. So the sync is interesting because you, you, know, you think how could you sync contact information if you don't know that it's changed or you don't know what the content of it is. But you could sync, you can actually cryptographically uh, sign and extract information so that the cloud-based service has no idea what's in it, but it knows it's changed because the signature has changed. The signature is irreversible. It can't, mm-hmm. be, rever- it can't be hacked out. Uh, and that's the way that some existing services work for all kinds of data, including hosted cloud backups. So it's possible to have this sort of, uh, I mean, there's one company, oh, Spider Oak. I'm not sure exactly what their model is today. They still do hosted backups and other things, but uh, they and a few other firms were founded around the notion of zero knowledge. They wanted to have no information at all, have no potential to store any of uh, your encryption keys in the clear or any fashion that would allow them access and thus allow other parties who compromise their systems or governments that requested that they felt were outside of uh, reasonable bounds to provide it. So um, again, this is all about legal access. Like there's, there's no issue here. I don't want to advocate systems that prevent um, that may, their companies are trying to deny legal government requests for information. But I also think that is such a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of the security uh, you know, attack profile, like governments requesting information about us for legal purposes or, you know, uh, for criminal cases or anything, that's point zero 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 many, many zeros, 1% of all of the data transfer and storage and usage that's out there. So we're talking about a very fine case versus our ability to keep it secret in general. Uh, now, so you covered um, big uh, changing story here in New York. You covered uh, that for Macworld. What's going on with um, this? Is this case affects San Bernardino, but not exactly like it's parallel, mm-hmm. somewhat different. This case um, actually predates San Bernardino, but um, there's some of the same things in play. It's in a different court. We're talking about, uh, I think, the Eastern District of New York. It is a federal court. It's a drug case. Um, the defendant is a uh, uh, self-confessed meth dealer. He actually pleaded guilty after um, you know this. Uh, search warrant was issued. So Apple was issued a search warrant to extract data from a locked iPhone 5S that's running iOS 7, which as you'll remember, um, Apple can suck the data out of there without having to <laughs> unlock the phone. Because um, it's not, yeah, they just Sorry. use their data sucker, they plug it right into the lightning port, it makes a sound, um, and the data comes out. That's my understanding. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so, but Apple, and they've done this before, but um, they are starting to challenge these warrants that are coming in under the All Writs Act. And that is problematic. Um, so the government has, you know, the right to issue search warrants. And the All Writs Act was first passed in 1789. And it's been updated many other times. The last one was in uh, 1948. But it's basically the the law that says that the government can write search warrants that don't that aren't already um, authorized by other existing laws. So if there's laws about, you know, like what, how they, you know, if the government can search your car, there's laws about when they can search your house. 
And those cover those kind of warrants. And then if they needed some other kind of warrant, they can issue it under the All Writs Act. So the government has been issuing all these breaking into these phones warrants to Apple under the All Writs Act. And Apple had been complying with them before. But now they it really seems like they want to get out of this business because they're saying like, you know what? No, there's a communications um, law enforcement act that um, they want these things to come under. Congress has also um, debated but not passed other legislation that's a little more, you know, up to date for communications. Um, The All Writs Act used to be used for, you know, phone communications and phone switches. And then it was um, and even that Communications and Law Enforcement um, Act was was originally written for phones, and it's been updated um, since then to cover internet stuff. So Apple's just sort of saying, like, look, these are new times. Like, you know, we want to we have all these millions of encrypted devices out, and we want clear rules about like what we have to do and and what we can and can't do. Um, so so they're just sort of challenging them under the, the this All Writs Act that that's not appropriate, and that's what's happening in the New York case. So this week. Um, Judge Ornstein, who's been accused of being kind of, a, you know, he he wants to have this debate on, on, on privacy and encryption. He wants this to be a public debate. So they were kind of expecting him to rule this way, but he quashed the government's motion um, for Apple to, to suck the data out of this phone. He's saying like, no, you can't do that under the All Writs Act. They looked at case precedent. There's a mm-hmm. three-pronged test. The same three-pronged test was mentioned by the government in the San Bernardino case. So now we actually have a judge on the record saying like, Nope, Apple doesn't meet any of the conditions of this test. And um, I'm, you know, Apple has submitted, you know, uh, their filings and briefings that this would be unduly burdensome. They don't want to do this. And I'm agreeing with them and they don't have to do this. So I'm sure that's not, you know, the end of the line in the New York case and it's going to keep being argued. But um, that is a win for Apple over there. And that's one of the things that they're arguing in the San Bernardino case. The San Bernardino case has the extra element of um, the government's asking for Apple to, you know, create this new tool for law enforcement to use that doesn't even exist now. So so they're, they're talking about that, if that's, you know, allowed and should be done. Um, and then they're, they're also challenging it on the All Writs Act. So there's kind of two, two sides being argued. And Apple's um, uh, lead counsel and senior vice president, Bruce Sewell, is actually testifying before Congress today, like, uh, pretty While soon. We're, yeah, I'll just about what yeah. we're so we'll, we'll have something up on that. Um, definitely by the time you guys read the podcast. The, but there, there's a lot going on. The Kalia Act that you cite, that's the... Uh, yes, I, thank you. That's the, um, well, I know it's the pronunciation, but it's a, yeah, the long name is right. And that, that was the judge, part of the judge's argument is that Kalia... Communications super- Assistant for Law Enforcement Act. It was first passed in 1994. Mm-hmm. So it was covering wiretapping, but they've They've expanded it to cover, and it's mostly about data in motion, um, like the the companies, the telecommunications companies that move your data around the country. The government wants them to, you know, let them peek in with with warrants and you know through the courts and everything to be able to peek in on people's communications in order, you know, to keep us safe. So, um, and and this is a little different because this is more data at rest than data in motion. But you know, th- that all has to be be argued out. This is when you get uh, you need to get uh, appeals uh, reporters and people who study appeals in Supreme Court because uh, so the judge wrote uh, the relief the government seeks is unavailable because Congress has considered legislation that would achieve the same result but has not adopted it. Now, mm-hmm. if we know our Scalia, which we do, um, Scalia didn't want us to consider legislative intent at all. So the fact that the that the judge referred to a legislative debate that occurred would be an argument that he would likely reject. And I'm oversimplifying, and I could even be entirely wrong, but I know that was one of Scalia's things as an originalist. So this gets appealed up, which ostensibly it happens. Uh, you know, the uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't know where the next court up is in this particular case. That court may lean, uh, you know, for or against that view, in which case it may say, look, you have to interpret All Writs Act and CLIA on the face, and, you know, All Writs may stand despite this judge's interpretation, then it goes to the Supreme Court and we're still in a 4-4 situation, the appeals judgment would stand and not set a precedent. So this is actually, you know, directly could be affected by a long-term stalemate in appointing a new justice. Yeah. Um, and it would yeah, affect that's entirely. a whole crazy extra twist that yeah. we haven't even really gotten into because, like, who knows, you know, what's going to happen with that. So... This is yeah, – we live in crazy times, man. <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember because it's – I think the Court of Appeals that handles the New York District, it's the Second Circuit. And now I'm not trying to get deep into the court thing here. But my recollection is that court is actually probably more likely to uphold this judge's opinion in terms of um, 
privacy and protection. There's some uh, circuits that are less likely. You can find, I mean, this is one of the things where, like I say, you're really interested. You can dive into some law blogging about it. Uh, but it really could. I mean, it could be an appeals court might, it, whatever the appeals court says, could wind up being upheld and the Supreme Court would essentially be deadlocked because this is traditionally the kind of issue that they wind up in a split. Now, sometimes there are certain things where you have seven, two splits uh, in the court over privacy issues that favor um, individuals, uh, depending on precisely the kind of information or situation. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. I mean, the, the I mean, the, the judge's basic argument though is that the, the Congress had the opportunity to legislate to specifically provide mm-hmm. this kind of thing that the government, uh, the you know, Department of Justice is alleging. Um, needs to be uh, handled, and they rejected it. Therefore, because the law doesn't say it and the CALEA doesn't say it, that it's not actually an option. You can't just make a uh, logical case out of it from a 200-plus-year-old law. Yeah, um, the, the judge is saying there's no laws that say that you can do this, and the government's saying the All Writs Act doesn't say that I can't do this. Yep. So they're sort of going like, you know, uh, yeah, I'm not not – Licking toads, kind of thing. Not not so. licking toads. Mm, how often do you not not lick toads? Uh, I don't know. Not I just like to get a Simpsons quote in every episode. Uh, Apple is in a <laughs> precarious situation. I mean, this is the thing about it too. A side a sidebar counselor is that uh, you know I think Tim Cook has talked about this a bit too. They didn't want to be in this position. This is awful for a commercial firm to be in a position where they're not just opposing the government. I mean, t- Cook talked about that. I'm um, was it ABC. Uh, yeah, he was longer. interviewed on ABC News. They did a really good job. Yeah, I watched the uh, link I watch it to the show notes. The videos online. Yeah, it's great. I watched the abbreviated version, not realizing the full was online, and I, I think he just you know expounded further. And they were in his office. You got to see his inside of his very spare, uh, you know, modest office. <laughs> it was cool. Um, but yeah, I thought he spoke very eloquently about like the discomfort they're in. And you know, I think if you're an ethical person, you've been through in that situation where you're like, why do I have to make this decision? You know, there's yeah. the uh, Lord of the Rings metaphors. Frodo's like, why do I have to take <laughs> this ring? Why is it me? And it's like, all right, it's me. So I got to do it. And I kind of have the Tim Cook not yeah, to make him a Christ. If your asked you to do something that you didn't think was, you know, right. And yeah. You know, yeah, it's like you have what you feel is an ethical obligation to, to do what's right. Early and, in a job. And they want to do what's right. They don't want to be seen as, you know, ant- the, the preferred phone of terrorists and perverts, I think Tom Cotton called them. Oh, which my is God. Just like, well, Tom Cotton I mean, needs birthday cake for breakfast every morning so i don't want to talk to him about maturity i'm not kidding go read it well and another thing that <laughs> i think tim cook pointed out uh somewhere and maybe in that same interview i'm it's all kind of blending together in my brain right now but um he pointed out that it's not even the slippery slope of if they if they bust open if they help the fbi bust open this one iphone there's going to be you know hundreds of other iphones behind it yeah that's um, right. uh, uh Vance, um, I can't oh, remember his first Vance, name. Junior, Cyrus junior, Vance is like, also testifying before Congress today, and he's a district attorney in New York. And he's like, "I got 175 iPhones I want to unlock." And and Charlie Rose asked him, like, "Oh, so if Apple has to unlock this one, are you going to ask?" And he's like, "Absolutely." So we know that there's more coming. But even even besides the unlocking thing, Tim Cook is like, "There's other things like that they could ask us to write software for. Like the government could ask us to write software that will turn on your camera and microphone." Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and they could get a warrant that says, like, I, you know, I'm going to turn your iPhone into like a bug. Like, they, you know, well, he was, so the thing th- I there's was a lot of bad things spe- that could come out of this. They could push specific software to specific phones. That's right. one That's of the scary terrifying. things. Right. That, and, and I, you know, and I get this. Like, I hear, I can hear the law enforcement side of it. It's like law enforcement has fewer tools that used to have that let them get to what they needed to do in order to find the evidence to convict people doing things that are illegal and harmful and could, you know, harm national mm-hmm. security uh, or it could just, you know, be killing kids or whatever. Like I totally, you know, I totally understand that at the same time, like, but there, you know, this is the danger of, in, of the modern age. The danger of encryption is that you cannot differentiate among purpose. You can't say we're doing this for good. The moral argument is obliterated by math. You, they gotta you put cannot, all the payphones back in, then they can like tap all the exactly. And it's the, you know the, the, the genie's out of the it. bottle, and we have to live in the universe that we're in. The universe we're in mm-hmm. is that uh, you know. Listen, if if you could imagine if someone leaked tapes from a Chinese high level uh, police or military service where they were discussing exactly what they're going to watching the case in America and exactly what they're going to ask Apple to do once the FBI had won. I mean, if that 
existed, which it does, I mean, that, that discussion exists, or any repressive government, or any government that has less interest, that's demo- democratic, but has less interest in preserving what we have left here, I think we may not, they're not the best in the world anymore either. If tapes like that were leaked and you could see video of Chinese officials saying, this is great, this is what we've been looking for, and we don't have to play any games. We just have to say, no, no, you did it for the FBI, you have to do it for us, and then we have access to all this stuff that's been locked away without having to pressure Apple. This discussion, you know, I feel like it's the Manchurian candidate. Have you ever seen this film? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, it's like there's a line that Angela Lansbury says in this uh, film, or not a line, it's a line that her opponent, the senator, says, like, I don't think uh, you could do more damage to America if you were a paid agent of, you know, communist China, which she, uh, spoiler, it's a 50-year-old film, I think I can spoil it. She is, right? And she's setting up this whole thing. Sometimes I feel... Like this whole thing, I, I'm not a conspiracy theory, but it still has that sense of like what we are doing is we're letting every repressive government in the world win despite the particulars of this case or despite the good intentions of law enforcement, assuming all their intentions are good even, uh, it becomes that kind of ensuring candidate situation. No more harm could be done to people worldwide if the FBI were actually all working for for um, Chinese most repressive uh, elements of its government. So. There we go. FBI maturing <laughs> candidate theory. You heard it. It's no, just not really. Not stake really. of freedom. You know, it's just freedom at stake. No big deal. freedom is not a big deal. Don't worry about um, it. Speaking of China, uh, so this this story came out obviously being spread by probably government sources uh, and uh, those in favor of uh, the FBI's policies that Apple had rolled over for China, right? That uh, Apple was um, going to that Apple had in fact made all these changes and things for China, had given them what they'd wanted. So why aren't they doing it for the FBI? And I, I think it's another smokescreen about how, oh, Apple used to crack phones for the FBI or whatever all the time. The stuff they did for China, whether or not you agree with it, Apple does business in many countries and it has to obey the laws in those countries. And it believes... China is a super important market for Apple, too. Mm-hmm. Like They're experiencing like just huge like triple-digit growth there all the time. But all the reports are that Apple has done things like, I think it's let them examine some source code. It's given them access that it probably has given other governments um, or other groups in governments, uh, but it hasn't, uh, you know, it's not modifying, it's not selling special iPhone firmware in China. And in fact, from all reports, it's pushed back pretty hard about certain kinds of things. So, uh, you know, especially regarding uh, user privacy of phones. So they're trying to conform with what is a repressive state's uh, dictates about how information flows. And you have issues like the Great Firewall of China that blocks aids people from being able to uh, freely access information outside China as easily as uh, it used to and so forth. There's all these things that go on and China is constantly attacking phones and systems and networks and whatever to maintain information flow about what they're trying to access. Uh, and it's not the only country that does that. But uh, I think it's an interesting smokescreen that it's like, oh, well, China has been getting this from Apple. I'm like, so you really want to compare yourself. You really want to say, well, if China's getting it, we, ostensibly the cradle of democracy, not if you don't discount Athens, uh, <laughs> that we should get the same kind of thing as this repressive dictatorship. I'm like, well, maybe that's not the best argument to make. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm really interested in seeing what they say today. And then the, mm-hmm. the first court hearing in the California case is in Riverside on March 22nd. Um, Apple did file their, their, their first brief. The government gets a chance to respond. Apple gets a chance to respond again. And then the judge gets a, you know, a week or two to read everything. So we will be on top of this as it goes. Uh, also interesting story came out at TechCrunch originally, I believe that they, uh, Apple had hired, or at least temporarily. It's interesting because it was, uh, uh, this guy made a tweet, uh, Frederick Jacobs had worked on uh, Signal. Uh, it's an app that Edward Snowden, it's his preferred communications app. And uh, he said, I'm a tweet that said, I'm delighted to announce I accepted an offer to be working with the CoreOS security team at Apple this summer. So it's unclear whether it's a stint or whatever. Um, Whisper Systems, which is the company he worked for, uh, Whisper Systems developed uh, software that now is in um, a, I think it's a, a tech secure is uh, a component that's in WhatsApp on some platforms, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the EFF gave um, Tech Secure, I believe it was seven out of seven check marks for um, security and privacy for messaging apps. Uh, and if I recollect correctly, I'm trying to remember, uh, I think it's uh, uh, Moxie Marlin's Spike is um, well known security. I know it's a great name, isn't it? Um, that is a great name. Wow. Not his original name, I don't believe, but uh, maybe it is. I don't know. It's an awesome name. Doesn't He's, matter. 
He was <laughs> involved. <still> awesome. <laughs> I don't know what his involvement still is. It's funny. Open Whisper Systems doesn't have information on their site about uh, about the current people involved. But he um, uh, he was one of the people involved with Whisper. He was at Twitter for a bit. He was the head of the security team there. Oh, he was a founder of Open Whisper Systems, which is the folks who made TechSecure and uh, and Signal. Uh, and uh, oh, he may be at Google right now. Is that right? I'm not sure. It's unclear. Uh, no, I guess he's back at Open Whisper. Anyway, these are so Frederick security Jacobs. Security guys are so mysterious. Yeah, it's true. Moxie Marlin Spike and uh, and uh, Frederick Jacobs are two of the leading people in uh, the world in terms of this kind of thing. And so one was going to work for Apple. Fascinating. Um, and and TechSecure and these other systems, the way they're developed, the design is that exact thing we were talking about earlier. Is that uh, unlike like something like Skype or even uh, iMessage, certificates are being issued by the company that makes it. So Microsoft Skype division issues certificates that, that validate that all the encryption in the system is working. So even though Skype is designed to be secure, it's possible for Microsoft to engage in activity that would allow other parties in or there's a lot of little interesting things because they're the authority for what security is. Individuals aren't. Tech Secure was designed in a way that takes that loop out. So there's ways to validate that certificates haven't changed and so forth. So it's um, outside parties have more assurance that nothing has been changed in the setup. And that's actually remains one of the flaws with iMessage is that I think iMessage got five out of seven check marks in EFF's thing. Part of it is outside auditing and part of it is who controls that root certificate that sort of establishes trust in that with mm. that certificate you can suborn um, uh, pro- processes. So I think that's... Uh, Cool that Apple is. Uh, They're going after those extra check marks. Yeah, more check marks. Check marks. Check marks is good. Check marks. Gosh, have we covered all the? There's so many things. Have we covered all the uh, FBI-related, security-related things. I think so. Yeah, uh, check out the check out the Tim Cook interview. I mean, Apple's been doing a really good job of getting their message out. Um, the government's been trying really hard to counter that message. Uh, James Comey wrote an op-ed. Um, you know, so both sides are are kind of just weighing in, and then the the Congressional testimony is is a good thing. I'm glad that Congress is like, okay, we're not going to, you know, wait for the courts to hash this out. Like, we're, we're Congress. We should have a voice in this as well, um, which they really should. That's something that Apple wanted. So, yeah, it's it's a fascinating story. It's been really fun kind of reading about it. It's 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 uh it's so important, but it's also really really interesting. There was one other person who just came out about uh, on blanket. It wasn't uh, Michael Hayden. It was um, oh here we go Keith Alexander who is former uh, NSA director he's uh, there's been I can't remember, there's another prominent person who uh, I would say is sort of on the right end of the spectrum so not a you know current Obama administration person or former um, who again a lot of people saying the people who are not in the current administration saying look I get what law enforcement wants. I, spent I think it was ex- Michael Hayden, well, ex- Michael Hayden was, director. There's more, but somebody just the other day, I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, I just saw this uh, uh, last year. But um, but Hayden did, and also, uh, like I say, uh, uh, this fellow, uh, Keith Alexander. There's there's just uh, more and more people who are not currently in office, so they're not under political pressure. Some of them with decades of experience in the field and working in law enforcement and working specifically on cracking these kinds of things. That was under their directive saying, yeah, yeah, totally get why law enforcement wants to do this. I might have said the same thing if I were still in position, but really this benefits mm-hmm. other countries, hackers, security. At the same time, alert just came out yesterday about um, the uh, Ukraine's electrical system uh, failure. A uh, report came out about it uh, where it's not been tied to Russia yet, although there's obvious belief that it has been, but that their um, their control system was infected through spear phishing where people get email that they open, they think it's legitimate, it infects their systems. And uh, Ukraine was saved primarily from a bigger collapse. Um, you know, A, this was a shot across the bow. It was a showing it could be done. It was shut down, uh, I think it was powered to 250,000 people. B, they have not as much automation and connection as more modern grids do. So, in fact, uh, not as much could be done when control was taken. But in the middle of dealing with this, like, well, you know, we should have backdoors, whatever. It's like, look, this is what happens when you have poorly secured systems. You have other countries coming in Mm -hmm. and engaging in a form of terrorism against you, cyber terrorism to, and, uh, you know, it's the case that, um, oh my gosh, I just saw this hilarious thing. It's a uh, 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 former news anchor has a book out about, I didn't even know this, about electrical grid security. Um, I'm blanking on who this is. It'll come to me. And, uh, he just was talking about how um, this whole situation is 
it's already out of control because the U.S. grid is so tightly linked together and computerized, and our system is not really in that <laughs> that great of shape. And so, at the same time as you have obvious national security problems, which would mean we should be absolutely securing our grid with better security. We should be doing auditing. We should be forcing companies, even private firms, to be updating for national security reasons. They're like, well, we really need to get into this phone. It's like, no, <laughs> that's the no, that's the wrong way around. Yeah. Uh. yeah, I actually was just trying to look up, you know, the name of that guy for you, and I found um, Jim Comey's remarks to the Wall Street Journal. And or, or, I'm sorry, not Jim Comey, um, Michael Hayden. So he's the former NSA director, and so yeah, the NSA who's more involved in national security and global affairs, has a very different point of view, it seems like, um, you know, according to Michael Hayden, than the FBI. So Michael Hayden, you know, can speak a little more freely because he's not, you know, in the job anymore. Yeah. But he is talking, it, this is so fascinating, he's talking about how the FBI um, is saying that he his logic is based on the belief that he remains the main body. You should accommodate your movements to him, the main body. I'm telling you, with regard to the cyber domain, he's not, you are. He's saying, like, right the global on. network is, like, you know, th the United States is not the center. <laughs> and, and we don't call the dance. So um, it's... Yeah, you have to you have to think about what everyone else is doing. Um, so he says, um, but but by the way, if I were in Jim Comey's job, I'd have Jim Comey's point of view. He's talking about the FBI director here. This he is says, that I understand. Oh, he says, my view on encryption is the same as former Secretary of Homeland Security Mike, Mike Chertoff's. Oh, Chertoff, that's the who same I was thinking as of. Yep. former Deputy Secretary of Defense Bill Linz. Mm -hmm. It's the same as former NSA Director Mike McConnell. Mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. my pre you know his predecessors are all like, yeah, we need encryption. Like the United States has to have the strongest encryption and they don't it sounds like they don't want the FBI going around like monkeying with with backdoors well clearly they should fire James Comey so he can speak his mind that would be great <laughs> uh, Ted Koppel is who I was trying to remember Ted Koppel former ABC News anchor published a bestseller last year which I missed called lights out about the vulnerability of the American electric grid and I've been reading comments from him since this Ukraine story came out and uh, you know he's a smart guy he's always been a smart guy and uh, this is not a ghost-written book like I'm sure he had research help because it's a big subject um, but his comments are extremely on point and uh, and awesome so we have that on the one hand uh, important national security interest you know business everything else being hacked. In a country and the other, it's like, nope, we need less encryption. We need backdoors that only we have magic keys to. Ah. Yeah. <sighs> well, let's, uh, let's step out of this fraught subject, which we will, I'm sure, have more to talk about. Because we have um, something fun and exciting to talk about. Yay! Apple's New March. products! Apple's event scheduled for my birthday, March 21st. Is Thank that really you, your Apple. birthday? It's my birthday. Fun. It's, uh, that's like that's kind of a, spring, a plus usually. and a minus for me. If we want to talk about how it's all about me, but we don't have to. I like <laughs> I like uh, March twenty first. It's great. It's the first day of spring many years, depending on when the equinox falls. Oh yes. So I've always felt a sense of rebirth uh, every year. I get to be born again uh, somehow into my usual my same self. It's weird. I get born again, but I'm exactly the same. Uh, go figure. So um, the uh, this is one of these uh, stories that always cracks me up. It's like. The announcement is delayed. It's like, well, they didn't make an announcement about when the event was going to happen. So is it delayed when we have rumors that say it was going to happen the earlier? rumor changed. Right, rumor changed from March 15th to March 21st. Well, the, and some people are saying like, okay, the date of the, the rumor date changed and we don't actually know if it's if it was March 15th and they moved it back or if it was always going to be the 21st and the rumor was just wrong. Because exactly. um, it sounds like they're having it in Cupertino. So it's not even like, you know, we can... We can call up Yerba Buena and see like when yeah. they have and like openings in the schedule. Invitations aren't aren't uh, out yet. We There's no seen invites it. out yet. I'll probably come um, out tomorrow. The way this works on Wednesday when you're listening to the podcast, it'll probably uh, it'll probably yeah. But so this is cool. So that, you know things have become stabilizing. We're hearing from many different places, some different angles that the iPhone 5SE it was never a five. There's no five. That's out of fashion. It's just going to be the iPhone SE Special Edition or Secret Energy or yeah. John Gruber had a great point. He's like, why would you give it a name that makes it sound like two years old? Yeah, I like, read when, that. I when like, it's oh, brand new. You're right, and if they yeah. want to keep it in the channel for a while, like this might be like a two-year phone, you know? Or they if can they're giving yeah. it the new processor and stuff. They could keep this one. They might update this on a different cycle, and they update the flagship phone. Well, here's the I thing: think we're shaking up the whole line here. Always got me about the iPhone because they are trying to—they're trying to push the refresh cycle on it. And as that has changed, uh, and that you know the the growth cycle in America and established markets is as um, the pace of growth has slowed. Um, it'd be interesting to me to have a phone if there is no number and it's the SE, and they just keep tweaking it. So mm -hmm. think about like the Mac Mini, or you know, 
the MacBook Air. Like, they don't call it the MacBook Air, you know, edition five point whatever. I mean, it drove me crazy. It still drives all of us nuts that Jobs removed all the numbers from almost everything, right? Because you yeah, couldn't Yeah, you have tra- to go into like the model uh, number now if you want to figure out which Mac you have. And they try to make it easy. Like there'll be a little app where it's like, which iPhone do I have? And then you can like, you know, send that up somewhere. Yeah. But- but it's also it means that you're sort It'll of. It'll be hard f- for the case makers. They'll be like, this fits the iPhone Plus oh. 2017 well, edition. If they keep the SE stable in form factor over time, then it's not a big deal, right? And the reports are that the SE is going to be close enough to the 5S that ostensibly uh, the same cases will work with that modification. Hmm. And if that's true, then um, then you have a, if you have a stable form factor over time and you're improving materials and innards, they can slipstream it and just say like, hey, we've just, um, yeah, we got the new iPhone 7s out. Oh, and by the way, we put a a slightly faster processor or uh, we've added memory or whatever just as a press release. You know, like when they do airport extreme updates or Mac mini, you know, they'll they'll boost the processor. They'll change the memory or hard drive requirement. The SE could fall into that maintenance cycle where it's always the low-end phone. It's always just continuously tweaked, but it's going to have an A9 and M9 or what the reports indicate, which is a pretty remarkably fast processor you don't have to be and especially when you have a smaller screen there's less to do you know there's less to render on it so uh, i think the phone will seem very powerful and i think it'll be and it sounds like it's going to be a relative bargain i think the price was going to be 450 is the uh estimate for uh, i think so that's 32 gig version maybe so that's a cheap phone by apple standards yeah, it's it's this one has a lot of expectations on it. I feel like even though it's not you know the flagship device, um, because they want to you know it's smaller and everyone expects it to be the cheaper one if it's not going to have all the same features as the flagship one. But it's also kind of like the upgrade phone for a lot of people who have held out from the six and the 6S. Um, when they did the last uh, earnings report, you'll probably recall that they said that um, only. Uh, 60% of the people who had an iPhone before the 6 came out um, haven't upgraded yet. Yeah, so yeah. so that's there's a lot of people who you know are potential upgraders to this phone. So they want to make it feel like new and awesome. And I think those chips are really going to help. And if, if it has like live photos, that's a really fun new feature to play with if you haven't had it before. Um, it'll have Apple Pay, which is, you know, new to those people, but it probably won't have, you know, every, every single thing that the flagship one has, cause that's why the flagship phone is the big, you know, cool, expensive phone. So, um, this one, it's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the reaction is after they announce it, if people will be, will be satisfied with the mix of features and price. Um, cause a lot of people are, are really looking to that small one as being like, okay, this is going to be my new phone. If I have the 5S and I, I've been holding out this whole time. I, I think the way if it if it conforms to where the rumors are focusing in terms of what it's going to have, it's going to be a great phone. It sounds and, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, especially it just I think it's it's exactly what a lot of people want is my expectation based on you know anecdote and feedback and I think Mark uh, Apple's point uh, makes the case as well. It's like given the fact that most of its competitors. All of its competitors are focusing on the bigger phones and that Apple, you know, drove to the 6 and the 6 Plus and the 6S and S Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, having a really nice, fast, sleek, small phone is a huge differentiator. Like it's you're going back yeah. to the future, right? Yeah, and I like – I'm really excited about it personally too because I like small screens. I mean my – the last Mac that I bought with my own money was the 11-inch MacBook Air. Um, my Apple Watch is the 38-millimeter one and I use the 6S instead of the 6S Plus. But, um, you know, the last time they put out the the last uh, iPod Touch, which is still the same form factor as the iPhone 5S, although even slimmer, um, I really liked it. I was like, gosh, mm-hmm. I wish this was a phone and I would just – this could be my new phone. This is great. Um, so, so yeah, I like little screens, so I'm looking forward to it. And then, um, maybe Mike Simon wrote a, a column for us saying like, Hey, maybe eventually, you know, if they're, they're going to drop these numbers, I think he wrote it before the, the dropping number point was brought up, but, um, maybe they'll start doing an iPad, an iPhone pro because the iPhone now is the only line that doesn't have like a pro one. So they could say, you know, iPhone pro, iPhone air, iPhone or SE be, or something. Well, it could be iPhone, iPhone plus and iPhone SE. And that yeah. could be the three. And, and, the, and the, the, the plus right now is, is only really differentiated by size. Like it has a couple different features, but when it seems like the marketing is all around like, you know, this size and that size. So it it's got optical it, it could be stabilization, I think is the only yeah, extra. It has that's, optical stabilization. Much, it has a couple software things. Like if you flip it to the side, yeah. it goes into landscape mode, which actually makes it feel like a little that. more pro. 
you know, you're like, ooh, it's like a little mini phablet. It makes it feel more phablet-like, I think. It's, it's a small thing, but it makes a big difference. It's funny. When I pick up, my wife has an iPhone 5, and whenever she hands it to me to show something, I feel like I'm a giant. I'm like, what is this mm-hmm. tiny phone? How do it's I use it though. with my giant, giant hands? But uh, <laughs> it's funny how quickly you adapt. But um, yeah, she'd like one. I mean, a, a newer version of that. Please. I remember uh, when the when the six came out, all the reviews, like especially the ones written by men, were all mentioning how big their hands were. They were all like, "Well, I have really big hands," but I found it like you know this. I found it this comfortable to use or not. But they all like <laughs> every single one had a sentence you know that started they, like, "I have really big hands," but and then you know when the say, watch came hands, out, like <laughs> big iPhone. The watch Sorry. came out like six months later, and then everyone was talking about how like they have like slender wrists, but it looks good on my wrist. But I have slender wrists, and it was so funny. So I like tweeted a picture of like Mickey Mouse. I was like, "Here, what the." Apple reviewers look like. Oh my with god! With their delicate wrists and their, their hands. giant I have, man hands. I used to think I have big Russian families, sort of Slavic Jewish. I thought I had um, big Russian my hands, hands and wrists are the perfect size compared to other people. I do not have big hands, which is fine. That means I can use fine instruments. Uh, other rumor that's been uh, stabilizing is the notion of a 9.7 inch. Yeah, iPad speaking Pro. of smaller screens. Pint size Pro. I mean, people, God, do people love the iPad Pro? I would say, I don't know about sales. Like, look, we never know about sales till Apple tells us. We don't know, we don't know, we don't know. The way people react to the iPad Pro is actually more intense to me than the way people reacted to the original iPad. Where you but didn't it's a know slice what... of people who have used it, though, because it's so expensive. Yeah, but it's, well, but the people who terms, have one love it. Everyone yeah. who has one is like, I love this. It's, they did, so, like, this is this is the true successor next generation iPad. And it's been, uh, what, five years between the original iPad and the iPad mm-hmm. Pro. The iPad, when it came out, no one knew what we were going to use it for. It was like, this is new. It's amazing. They could even make it. Their apps, they iterated through three versions very quickly of the hardware. Uh, and, you know, it stabilized like, okay, in the market. It was a fun experiment that worked. Yeah, it worked. And it's a, any other company could make its fortune on it. For Apple, it's a small product line that has the growth has tapered way off. The iPad Pro was, I would say, a bold and different move. And I mean, people are, you know, Jason Stahl has written very eloquently about it because he did not expect to buy one. He got one for review. He sent it back, and then he's like, you know, I need one. And he uses – he's got a 27-inch iMac, I think. And uh, I've heard this from many people who did not expect to fall in love with it. or And then it's become, for some people, their only computer. I mean, they have a Mac. They still have for whatever purpose, but they really spend most of their time on the iPad Pro. So I'm really fascinated by how excited people are about it. Uh, who knew a stylus would make people excited? And um, – I don't think we talked about it, but you know that was an issue in the late uh, iOS 9.3 beta, where being able to use the Apple Pencil for um, uh, oh yeah, it came up on Clockwise when we were on Clockwise together. Oh, that's right. Yeah, different. Listen to us on a different podcast too. Yeah, well, uh, and see, so I haven't really fallen under the iPad Pro spell yet, but the way that other people gush about it like makes me kind of want to try it again. So, because I mean, it's fun to shake up your tools, it's fun to try new things, and it's fun to take like something heavier out of your bag and replace it with something lighter. Um, but I just kept running into these like annoying roadblocks where I would be like annoyed with my tools like yeah, several yeah. times a day. And, you know, I have a lot to do. So I want to just use the tools that don't annoy me. But I, I, I feel like maybe if I got over that hump with it, it might be fun to try again because people really do like it. But I love Jason's column, which we'll link up the other um, his column the other day. We'll link it up to show notes. But he wrote about how like, look, you don't have to pick one or the other. Yeah, like, yeah. I use both and they're both. They both serve well, great needs. And I like how Apple's doing that. Apple doesn't want to have like one convergence device. And people are like, well, when are they going to merge OS X and iOS? And it's like, they'll keep merging features. No. But I think Apple likes that you can do the same task on multiple different tools. And you just pick which tool you like. You pick the one that works for you, your situation, your pocket size, like your power needs, your whatever. Everyone's going to be a little different. And we can all use, you know, they, they, the same apps, the same services, and your data will follow you around, hopefully, if it works right. But yeah, the, t- the tools are, are very, you know, pick, pick what you like. So I, I liked how Jason made that point. Well, I, I would also say, I you know, I definitely agree that it's expensive in the sense that, like, you know, it isn't... Uh, it's, but now you know, if they make the screen smaller, we'll all well, be able to buy yeah, one. Yeah, but it's, you know, the original iPhone or iPad, the base model with Wi-Fi only was, it was $500 introduction yeah. in 2010 with inflation, Almost $550 a day. We haven't had that much inflation in six years. I just ran the calculator. Uh, and this is 800 bucks for a 32 gigabyte, the iPad Pro, I'm sorry, the 12.9 inch one. 800 bucks for the basic Wi-Fi one. That's cheaper than most laptops. 
but it doesn't yes. come with the keyboard. You add the keyboard. Um, That's the thing. If you, you get the keyboard the and the pencil, it ends up being like a grand. I, we yeah. got the cheapest one here to have at the office, and I ended up spending like a thousand on just the whole yeah. package. So I know a but smaller. It's, that's laptops, you know. That's yeah. laptop speed. But it's. I think the iPad Pro. I think people are. It's like the the speed, the uh, ability to be able to use it with your uh, style. I mean, it's so funny. Like mm-hmm. I think this this comes back. None to None of the, the basic... laptops have you know LTE in them yet. None of the Apple ones do. So you know that's a big check in the iPad column. Yeah, and it's, you know, this is the thing is like the stylus issue. Apple's repeated mantra is we don't do something until we think we can do something that's different and better, right? Something like that. They say the same thing over they and over. They nailed the stylus. Yeah. It's great. Right. It's so, so they, optional. Like you don't years, need it at all. It's yeah, it still took a good years to get to this point. And now, and now they have one. And people have, I, I just don't hear enough good things about it. And the palm rejection and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of our fine podcast. And uh, we're less outraged this week, but, you know, there's still room for outrage. Uh, I think we calmed down a little bit. It's America. It's 2016. There's That's plenty right. to be outraged about. That's right. But so we'll be, we uh, get into that. We'll be following this. You know, folks, you can always email us, podcast. Oh, did we get any voicemails? We didn't get any voicemail. We, we, we were very angry last episode. And we told this at the, at the end of the episode, so it may have prevented people. We, have <laughs> we chased them all away first. We then we're, we're like, call us. <laughs> uh, but, you know, folks, we are trying this experiment. If you would like to leave uh, a voicemail, you can. You can call us at 415-712-CAST, C-A-S-T. 415-712-2278. Uh, and leave a short message with a question or a comment. Tell us your best dad joke. Yeah, tell us your bad, dad we'll joke. Tell us air. where you're calling from. Give us which form of your name you want to use or pseudonym or whatever. And uh, we may use the audio on the air. Uh, you can also, you know, just use QuickTime and uh, iPad and your uh, uh, headphone device there and record a short message. Send it to us. Um, we're looking for feedback on this as always. So you can send it to podcast at macworld.com where you can send other feedback. And you can find us as always at Macworld. So uh, looking forward to hearing for everybody uh, with less outrage. It's 50% less outrage in this podcast. Susie, great to talk to you again. Thanks, you too. And I've been and remain Glenn Fleischman, uh, senior contributor at Macworld. And this has been the Macworld Podcast, episode 497. Getting pretty close to that big 500. It's coming. Uh, It's March 2nd, 2016. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.